welcome back to the Salted Caramel Podcast. This is a podcast where we have the grace to share faith stories of our parishioners to the ends of the earth, especially to Canada. I haven't forgot about you, Canada. Keep listening. We appreciate it. <laughs> My name is David Cook, and with me is the very versatile Jody Curtis. Jody, who is our guest today? Our guest today is Liesl Mertes, and I couldn't be more thrilled to have Liesl with us on the show. I she, She's been a longtime friend and business colleague of mine, and just recently found out that she had joined Our Lady of Mount Carmel, and Liesl and her family will be joining us in full communion at the Easter Vigil in 2022. So, Liesl, thank you so much for joining us today. And tell us how you got connected to Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Thank you for that welcome, Jody. Uh, the answer is through lacrosse, actually, um, <laughs> and through some frustration with the lacrosse team that my son was getting ready to join. He'd never <laughs> played before. Um, and we were trying to get him in a league, and we reached out to our friends, the Shrift family, who we'd known through Carmel Dad's Club Soccer, and really liked. And they said, well, why don't you come? So this was maybe February of this year. They said, well, why don't you come to one of these indoor games, and why don't you hang out with us um, and just see some of what's going on with the team that's here? And that was at um, a really ripe time for our family in the terms of paying attention to one's life, um, we were just kept intersecting with these really dynamic Catholics. Um, we have been lifelong lovers of Jesus, deeply rooted, uh, both my husband and I, in the Protestant church. But whether it was our back neighbors or the Shrift family, and then um, standing on the sidelines, it was like, I like these people. This would be a great team for Magnus to be a part of. He was experiencing um, some of the bumps that can come in being in male community as a fifth grader in the public school system and just, you know, little ways that his uh, faith-filled, sensitive heart um, was really being wounded. And so both my sons played in the spring. We were meeting more people. They went to the Joe Reitz um, camp at Garen, and we just kept expanding our footprint. We had late night conversations till 11 at night at the Shrift's house with Father DeOrio going through aspects of doctrine and all kinds of things um, and realized that maybe we didn't have to be in a, a posture of protest anymore as Protestants were, especially after Vatican II. Um, and man, we love just the integrated life of faith and community that the school provides and going to church and the aspects of outreach and the Merciful Help Center. So three of my children are attending. We are you can find us every Monday night in RCIA classes. And <laughs> we feel just really confirmed in our process of joining. And it all relates back to not being able to get into that lacrosse league. So I'm so <laughs> thankful for the unexpected hindrance that that was. Yes. It's weird the little little steps God takes you through to get you where you need to go. Yeah, and it's so purposeful because I was so ticked off. I was like, this is the last day of registration. The woman's not even in the office. She's not even answering my emails. And I see <laughs> the kind hand of an ordaining father working through bureaucratic hurdles. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And Lisa, I kind of jumped into asking you to share how you joined Our Lady Mount Carmel. But tell us a little bit about yourself and your family as well, too. 
Yeah, I uh, I'm married to Luke Murtis. I still love him and think it was a good decision. Fifteen years later, <laughs> we have five children, four of whom are living. There's Ada, who is an eighth grader at Carmel Middle School. She is a a runner and loves a deep conversation and is a fierce advocate for justice issues. There is Magnus, who is our sixth grader. He's at Our Lady of Mount Carmel. You can find him playing any sport that's available to him. Jemima, who is a third grader at Our Lady of Mount Carmel. She is our inventor and the most observational person that you would ever meet. There's no detail that gets past Jemima. And then Moses, who is our first grader, who is somehow just effortlessly pretty cool. I don't know how he pulls it off, but he's well-liked. Yeah. Well, I just, I was going to say, I love these names, like the, the inspiration for these names. I'm really curious about the backstory and all that stuff. Uh, w- would, would you like me to uh, address your curiosity later on? Or Yeah, or- yeah. <laughs> Keep me waiting in suspense. Okay, I'll tell you. There's a good story. <laughs> I, I can't. I can lead in. I'll I'll give you one because it relates to, I know, talking about testimonies and ways that you meet Jesus. Um, Actually, a really important name is our daughter Jemima, who is named after one of Job's three daughters from the end of the book of Job. Because in the trajectory of the book of Job, he has lost everything. He has been laid low. And there's this restoration that the Lord gives him. um, And it's a return of land and property and children and he has three daughters. Jemima is one of them. They are the most beautiful in the land and in a move towards female economic empowerment. She also receives a full share of the inheritance with her brothers. Hmm. And that was very resonant because Jemima is actually the daughter that was born after our daughter Mercy, who died. Um, and it felt there was a lot of my grief and my processing about, like, God, where are you in hard times that felt like uh, it found a location in what I would name this next child. So we could pray for her while she was still in the womb. And um, Jemima felt like an important name on a lot of levels. Um, mm-hmm. And we still like it today. It's <laughs> it's it well. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, uh, you've already uh, titillated my senses and my curiosity. So I, I'm excited for the rest of this uh, interview, but it sounds like you, you guys were already very religious, God-loving people before, obviously, the move to RCIA and coming to the Catholic Church. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your life before you had a, a personal relationship with Jesus? Yeah, we were, Luke and I were actually just talking about this. Um, our In our family stories, it was the ministry of Billy Graham for both of our grandmothers that really um, brought them powerfully, like the big revivals that went through. They had you know, these turning points of not having God be anything but on the periphery to really central um, to their lives. They are both prayer warriors and we're evangelists at heart. So for me, I mean, it is a blessing to be able to say, I don't have any memory of a world that was not suffused with, you know, the importance of Jesus and God in my life. Um, Now, when it comes to moments where that becomes like more uh, personal commitment and not just context, uh, I would say that that really occurred for me in the first time. And there have been a number of chapters of pain and disappointment that uh, have ushered me into a deeper walk. But the first one was me as a, an 11 year old fifth grader 
and I had a really, really horrible horseback riding accident. Um, mm. My arm was dislocated. It was twisted 180 degrees. It was broken in 13 places. Um, and I, I woke up with no feeling in my hand, like very, I, I just numbness. Um, and it was uncertain if I would ever move that hand again. It was the beginning of years of surgery and physical therapy. And it was really this introduction into what I feel like is a deeply human question, which is God, like, why do you let bad things happen to people? Mm. And who are you in the midst of this? And what does a life of faith ask of me? Um, it, you know, heavy stuff for a fifth grader. Yeah. Um, right. Very, very important in my um, ongoing walk of faith. You know, it's it's kind of one of those questions of like, do I do I believe in this? Like, is this worth going all in on, or is just the pain and the you know the the invitation of the enemy is to think it's just senseless, or God is not good, or you have been abandoned in this? Um, so yeah, I would say at eleven was the first time I reckoned with some of those questions. And did you ever, I guess, go down those paths of abandonment, like live out, yes, God isn't there, God wouldn't allow this to happen, and kind of follow that path? Or did you kind of just ask those questions and realize the answers are God is always there? Yeah, it's, um, I think of, I, I will answer that, but even as I think about what it means to be faithful, I think of, of Hebrews 11, like all of these people who are committed of living by faith in difficult circumstances. So it is both a tribute to who they are, but also to, you know, the gift of faith that God equips them with. Going back to my my grandparents, my um, my mother, I would say that there has been a gifting of faith in my family um, that I both get to inherit because of their like steadfast prayers, because of my choices and because of, you know, God's equipping. So I, um, I am thankful that I have had the gift of faith, which does not mean that I was not asking very despairing questions. I think even like we see in the Psalms, like we don't really have the language of lament in the same kind of way, but like so much of who David is or, you know, old and new Testament, these men and women of faith, like there's this really robust, like God, where the heck are you? Or like <laughs> I am surrounded and you are silent and you have always been silent and you don't even care about me. Um, so I, I felt whether it was as a sixth grader, um, as a newly married woman whose daughter was dying, as a early 30s woman whose son was being taken back to open heart surgery, um, there was a faith that carried me through. And that faith was also being like, God is okay with my hard questions. In fact, an act of faith is me like bringing these hard questions before God. Um, the, the faithless thing to do is to say, I'm just going to take these questions and, you know, drown them in whatever behavior feels comforting or ignore them. Like mm. I, I have found the gentleness of God and his sense of being like, I can take those big emotions and I actually really value honest prayer. So I have asked the questions I I'm thankful for faith. Yeah. What a, what a beautiful answer. Yeah. I always tell people that, or I, I tell people this because it was told to me is that God, God's a big boy. He can take your yelling. He can take your, <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> Even within the last month, there was something happening with one of our children that triggered me. 
I found myself back as like a sixth grader who didn't have friends in a new school. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I just felt like in real time, I was like emotionally right back there. And I was like, I know I need to pray about this, but I was praying and I was like, God, you say that you're good and you take care of your people and you are not holding up your end of the bargain. You're not doing it. <laughs> and, and you know what? I don't think that's the ultimate truth about God, but I think that was important for me to hear myself say it, to invite the Holy Spirit into like, okay, this is how I'm feeling. Yeah. What if this should remain? What if this needs to fall away? And thank you that you can love me even in the midst of my prickliness. <laughs> And Lisa, what is your life like now in Christ? I never have any problems. And I'm teasing. That is absolutely not true. (laughs) Um, I am considering what it means to be becoming an elder and spiritually mature. I'm in my late 30s. My children are entering teenage years. And... um, I'm feeling the the beckoning to continue to to deepen, and that has had me leveling up some of my practices. Uh, Luke and I have been married for 15 years, and you know we've loved Jesus. We regularly go to church. You always like know it's a good thing to do to pray with your partner, and it's just hard to get into the practice. Um, but for the last year and a half, a real gift of COVID has been just um, a commitment to daily prayer in the early, early hours of the morning before our children get up. Um, and I think there was a part in my, you know, there was, there was like Liesl version 10 years ago mm-hmm. that would have really been like, you know what, a life of faith and the movement of the spirit, it's so much more than just checking the boxes of, you know, these practices. You can do that in a godless manner. You can just be like going through, it can breed pride. You know, I want it to be something I get in this process of maturing. I'm also like, you know what? God showing up is not apart from the daily discipline of just you showing up. So that um, that's really good. I am I'm being back into something more in joining the Catholic faith. Um, as a Protestant, there's there's always a little bit of what you can do psychologically and emotionally to be like, I choose my heroes of the faith. I like this one and this one and this one, and that one did terrible things. And like I. I choose not to align myself, but in uh, in being united to the beauty of a bigger history of the stories of saints and long practices, um, and also also grieving a little bit some of just the ways in which the church has hurt people and the ways in which I hurt people. So that's that's part of my story right now in joining Catholicism of being like this is beautiful and it's so good, and there's this immediate community, and then there's like the community of you know, the, the saints writ large and some people who haven't done great things. And what does it mean to like also appropriately mourn some aspects of that history too? So those, those are some of the top of mind things. Yeah. My spiritual walk right now. I also think that with aging children, as much as I want them to mature, it is, it's always an ask of the maturing of the parent. So I am actually <laughs> skilling up and maturing to be able to be the parent that my teenage children need. I am not there yet, and I'm a work in process. <laughs> Aren't love we that. all? Right. Yeah, I love it. Just the way the way you said all those things and spousal prayer is so important. I just love everything you're saying. So I'm going to ask you another question to keep you talking. 
you talked a lot about the painful moments in your life, the open heart surgery and losing your daughter and things like that. Uh, can you tell us more about those moments and what you learned from them? Mm. Hard moments are, they are just hard. Uh, a little bit of that honesty. It's like I was, I was reflecting even, uh, Moses was my youngest he, he was sick this week uh with symptoms that were not covid but really looked like it and he spiked like spiked a really high fever mm. and I'm, I'm not a he's he's better now he's back at school and fit as a fiddle but um i would say I'm, I'm not a catastrophic thinker like that often but you can't help but think like oh god like you know even as i was praying for him like please heal him intervene on his behalf you know, do and just this like little whisper of like, what would it be to lose another child? And as much as like I see the growth, the gifts, all of those things, like baseline, I would I I would tear my hair out and how it would still be so hard to have something like that happen. And I think living through that, I do know that if you know, if we have the privilege to live long after something horrible, like the death of a child, there are more chapters that come after that. Like it's not only pain. I've had birthdays, I've had celebrations, I've had births, I've had deep belly laughs, I've had all of those things. Um, but it's, you know, it's sad. Um, I have known the gentleness of God in that. Um, there, was, there was a book that I read after Mercy died, it was passed my way. It was by Nicholas Walter Stopp. It's called Lament for a Son. And he he wrote and he he was just reflecting. It was his son was a mountain climber who died in an avalanche. And he's it's just short reflections on his grief, on the nature of pain, uh, on who God is in the midst of that. And um I really connected with like we we have a God who chooses to actively grieve. Like God, like Jesus on the cross, but God the Father, like it's not just that there was the grief of Jesus being on the cross because of the reality of sin in the world that that God allows, like the world keeps going and sin keeps being here. And that means that in a very real way, God who is both outside of time, but also observing it is in real time grieving, like all things are not made new yet. And there's something to that for me of being like, God isn't just like waiting to nudge me along to like, just be happy, like, or just know that the new heavens, and the new earth are coming and it's okay. He's like, there's a deep way because God mourns, because he grieves, I can know God in that. And I can know that I'm not alone in that, um, in a way that's really mysterious and powerful. Um, also this, this was booked. So Catholics of my life, I loved this book. It's called, um, I think it's called a grief observed and it was, is by a Catholic thinker and writer whose six year old son was killed um, on the front, on his front lawn. And it is fantastic. I have reread it probably five times. I've bought the new edition, but for anyone who has any dynamics of that grief, um, Gregory Floyd is his name and it is masterful. Mm -hmm. so, um, I, I don't know if that was, that was your question. Um, yeah. You know, and one one does not behave at their best in times of grief. I don't think that we we get you know a hard pass, but it's like it's hard, and it's hard with like a partner 
too. It's hard with a spouse. It's hard with your family because grief is the most isolating emotion. Your grief is so particular to your particular memories, experience, and you would want to think like we need people when we're sad. And yet there's a way in which people can only get so close to approaching you. Like you will never be fully understood in that by anyone but God. And that can make it really hard in human relationships. You know, even like for Luke and I, we were both mourning the same dead daughter. We're both with our same son at Riley. And the moments where I'm like, how are you not completely angry at this moment? Mm-hmm. Like you just want to not talk about it or for him to be like, why are you so sad? I just want to. I just want to watch a movie right now and not think about it. And I'm like, I want to talk about it for the next four hours. And um, that's where having a wider support system and where the church and community is so helpful. Because if you are pouring all of your relational needs into that one other compromised person, you're going to be so consistently disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. Lisa, you, I love the way you talked about the gentleness of God. And I, I want to, put a plug in for you and be knowing you, I know that there is such a gentleness about you as well. And so I, I want to plug your podcast, which is called handle with care that I encourage people to take a, a listen to where Lisa really explores not only her own stories around grief and pain, but the stories of other people going through, um, a wide array of different issues and how people deal with those as friends and as co-workers as well too. Um, you, you just have a beautiful call to empathy with others as well. But now that you and your family are all going through the process of becoming Catholic, tell us about that journey into the community of Our Lady of Mount Carmel and how that's impacted your family right now. It's been a great blessing in our life. We continue to feel confirmed and delighted in moving forward. I'll tell you some of the things that um, are feeling resonant and also some of the things that, you know, are a little bit different than our past experience. Um, Luke, especially, who um, he's, he's my husband. He, he, we all do, but him, especially he's like, I like obligation. I appreciate thinking about it that way because he, by base nature is not a man who likes being told what to do. God is maturing him consistently in that, but that's like his most immature self. And frankly, um, we have been a part of so many great churches of men and women who have loved God and poured into our lives. But like an Achilles heel of Protestants in general is that as soon as it feels like it's no longer working for you for whatever constellation of reasons, it's really easy to leave and to be perpetual like church hoppers, um, which, you know, now in our midlife, we know a lot of people who have done that multiple times and they're just tired out. And in fact, they're just not going anymore. And they still would say like, I really love Jesus and he speaks to me, but yeah, I don't go to church. Now, I I have a broad category for how that happens to people. And I feel like sometimes wounding and sometimes just mishandling, like people can be in that place. And there's, again, the gentleness of community and all of that. But if that's where you camp out and you just remain for like long, long periods of time, I, I really think that there's an aspect of the flourishing of being a part like of 
just being a part of the broader body that is missing. And that is disobedient also. So um, we appreciate being a part of a community that just is taking that seriously. You know, nice. we, we show up when we are committed to these people over time. Um, and we have found such gracious kindness in just the hospitality. You know, God is a hospitable God. OLMC is a hospitable congregation. Um, we've loved a little ins and outs of the school. And I, I went to a non-denominational Christian high school. So there's, there's some aspects of homecoming for me of being like, yes, you know, you're <laughs> should, you know, affect how you do math and how you do science. And I loved just kind of encapsulating. I loved being there for All Saints Day. This is my first All Saints Day as a uh, pre-Catholic, a, a almost, you know, uh, fully catechized Catholic. And <laughs> it's just, I've, I've had All Saints Day in the past, um, but it just felt that much deeper and richer to um, feel like I'm stepping more fully into the heart of God, which is for the unity of his people in specific geographic context, but also throughout the span of history. Um, and I'll, I'll give you one more small story. Also, um, Moses was, we were at RCA class and it was Halloween and he was feeling scared about Halloween. Doesn't like, you know, just, it'd be a scary holiday. And he's sitting there and he goes, you know what I want to do? I want to go to the Adoration Chapel. We all went up. We spent about like four minutes in there. He was earnestly praying. And, and he came out and he held my hand and he goes, I have just made up a new prayer, the blessing for Halloween bravery. And I thought, <laughs> I'm so glad that this is like a category of like a specific, you, know, you can you can pray to God anywhere. But to be like, yeah, I just thought that was kind of beautiful. I was like, look at you. You are fully embodying oh, Catholic education. He yeah. is cool. You're right. He sounds like a cool kid. Yeah. <laughs> Dude. That's awesome. Well, we have other questions to ask you, but I'm more curious about the names of your kids. I don't know if Jody minds, but I would love to know the backstory. The Virgins. Yeah. Um, Ada. Luke really wanted to name Ada um, a name from the Bible. And I felt like there were a number of common female. There are not enough named women period, but sometimes those names get heavily used. So Ada is actually a minor character who there are two different Adas in the book of Genesis, but uh, Ada is actually the second most ancient woman's name in the Bible. There's Eve who's named and the next person who's named is Ada, who is a wife of Cain. So, um, and I just like the sound of Ada. So it was like an uneasy compromise. I was like, okay, we can, we can do Ada. Um, but her middle name is June after her faithfully praying great-grandmother June, who is still living and diligently lifting my children up every day in prayer in Duluth, Minnesota. Magnus is named after my grandfather, Magnus, who is off the boat uh, from Norway. It's a name that means the great one. So it's a family name. Um, his middle name is Emmanuel which was influenced. We, we spent a year living in Nairobi, Kenya, and we knew a number of Emmanuels. We hadn't met people with that name before. So we were naming him while we were in Kenya and I was pregnant with him. And we really love the, the great one partnered with God being with us and finding that sort of a balance in his name. You heard about Jemima. Jemima's middle name is Rahab, who we love as a hero of faith. 
when Joshua and the Israelites are moving into the land. We love it that she was outside of the covenant people. She was she would have been viewed as, you know, like the Gentile who was not coming in and that God's heart is always for all of his people. And he's always expanding our conception. So we love her in the na- uh, in the lineage of Jesus. We think it's a cool name. And then there's Moses. We were naming Moses because we knew at his 20-week scan that he would be needing open-heart surgery um, and that there's going to be, you know, a journey of like a lifelong um, episodically having to go in. He's, he's missing one valve of his heart entirely. And you really need all four. So he was going to need early intervention. Um, and the same way that, you know, and this was after our daughter died. Oh, I will tell you about her name. Um, after Mercy died, we were, we were praying for God's provision. And we knew it was, you know, there, I have a lot of faith in the doctors at Riley. They are tremendous, but it was still casting him upon the waters. Um, and his middle name is Einer, which is after Luke's uncle Einer, who was a pastor until his wife divorced him. And then he felt like he needed to leave pastoral ministry. But so he never had kids, but always had a heart for the gospel. And Luke really wanted him to live on in the lineage of Moses Einer. And then there's Mercy Joan, our daughter who died um, throughout my complicated pregnancy. We, it was not certain that she would die. But we were praying for the mercy of God, um, and we felt like her name was congruent. And then Mercy Joan, Joan is after my mother-in-law. Wow. I loved it. Yeah, yeah so thank you. That's that's a very apt question for me. We, were, <laughs> we, we had friends recently, and we were like, what did you name your child? And they told us, we go, oh, why did you choose that name? And they were like, we like the way it sounded. And I thought, oh, I guess one could choose names that way, too. We Obviously, we were pouring a lot of intention into yeah, our name it's fine if you don't we just happen to <laughs> oh, yes. well, thank you for sharing that Liesl and as you know we like to ask all of our guests what they are doing to become a better disciple or as we like to call it staying salty I find myself in my daily times of prayer but also carrying in, you know, I, I was I was doing it today. There was um, this this ties into trying to be in tune with the Spirit of God. I think that um, the Holy Spirit is the most neglected member of the Trinity, um, and there's so much power for us in life of what the Spirit of God wants to reveal to us, how He wants to guide us, how He wants to lead us into conversations or pull us out. And that was like something I confessionally believed for many years, but thought, oh, that seems kind of mystical and a little woo. And maybe people who really talk that way are making it up. Like maybe they're just, um, God has really shown me of how much he actually wants to like, not just one way communication, but actively be communicating back to us. So I am trying and actively to remain salty asking give me eyes to see there was a beautiful blessing. this relates to what i was doing today there was a beautiful blessing and we had the the right of i think it was the right of initiation invitation uh i don't have it correctly it was just recently but there's like this it's it's for people who are joining the church and there's this beautiful moment where they they take the cross that they put around your neck and they um you know that the cross over your mind the cross over your ears the cross Mm -hmm. you know 
over your mouth for what you speak, over your heart, you know, over your hands for how you serve, over your feet. Um, so that is how I'm trying to stay salty of just inviting him more into those moments. Um, and being able to, to talk about that more. I think the more that we are talking about those kinds of things, they become like not the one-off of people who are saints or like inaccessible. But I think he wants to do that with everybody. You know, Jesus told us we were going to do all of these things and even more in the power of my name. Um, I, I want to be, be a part of that. Also actively, I mean, I actively apologize a lot. I'm getting better <laughs> as I get older because, and I mean, I think that that is also so, so important. Like we will air, we, we say that in confession each week, we should be people who more than anyone else are able to do that with one another. And I naturally think I'm right most of the time. So that is <laughs> a tremendous growth of maturity. There you go. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been awesome to hear your your stories and your words of wisdom and just how vulnerable you are right from the get-go. Uh, would you mind leading us in a prayer, an ending prayer? I would love to. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God, I thank you that you know like the exact day, moment, and circumstances of each listener to this podcast that you have been with them through the night. You have been with them as they awakened. You have been with them, whether they're listening and multitasking with children, um, whether they're having a fantastic day where they feel full of faith, or even as we talk about just the hard things, those dark nights of the soul where we wonder where you are. Thank you that you are God who rejoices with those who rejoice, who mourns with those who mourn, and who promises the equipping of your Holy Spirit of power to give us everything we need, all the fruits of the Spirit to be able to live faithful lives. So I pray for the lonely people who are listening to this, that you would bring someone to come alongside them with a word of comfort and encouragement. For those who are listening, who are feeling um, triumphant and full of faith, that they might pour out goodness into those around them. For those that are angry and they can barely believe the words that they're hearing, that you would be a kind God who is lavishing love. Thank you that you're big enough to hold all of our emotions, that you're big enough to hold the life circumstance of every person listening, and that you have a deep personal knowledge and overwhelming love for each person who is concluding this podcast with us. Thank you that that is who you are. It's who you are in your Trinity. It's who you are in Jesus. Help our hearts to believe it. It's one of the first things the enemy wants to attack and take from us. So we thank you for your love. Equip us for the rest of our day. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much again for joining us. And as always, stay salty.